evangelists or missionaries uh, here preaching for us, and they'll tell openly and without apology and without feeling that they need to give any explanation that the Lord called them to a certain mission field. Um, if you walk closely with the Lord, he talks to you and he tells you things to do. Now, in this case, it says the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Now, I don't know whether a, a, a big old, you know, six-foot-tall angel appeared to him. I don't know exactly what that means. Exactly, I don't know every detail, but I do know this. If you walk with the Lord, he talks to you, and after a while, you get to know him. Amen. And you know the kinds of stuff he likes and the kind of stuff he doesn't like. And you know the kinds of stuff you do that's a blessing to him and pleases him, and you know stuff <laughs> that you do that makes him mad. I can't help but laugh as I say that because I'm real familiar with those things at this point in my life. And when I say that, I, I, I trust that everybody knows I'm not bragging. The Lord knows he whoops me real good quite regular. But I do know him real well, just like my mom and dad. Even when I was going through times in my life as a child where I wasn't the best behaved child and I was getting you know more punishment maybe than usual, that I knew, I knew the kinds of stuff they liked and didn't like. I knew the kinds of rules I was supposed to be keeping and stuff. Susanna was asking me for Father's Day, asking me different details about the different children, uh, some of the details on those things. So I'm telling those things because I have them fresh on my mind now. But when God is your Father and you spend a lot of time with Him, He tells you to do things. If, uh, if He's not telling you to do things, you and Him aren't talking much. You and Him aren't close like you should be. He, he went to Philip and said, Arise, go toward the south under the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, uh, which is de desert. Uh, Philip has been talked about earlier in this chapter. And he went and did the Lord's work, and so the Lord called him and said, Hey, I know you'll do this. Let me send you. Be the kind of person that the Lord knows you'll do something for him. Let him call and send you. Verse 27, And he arose and went. There's another problem. A lot of people, the Lord tells them to do something, they just don't do it. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. And heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This, he didn't get a little water on his fingertips and sprinkle him. They went down into the water to get baptized. 
Verse 39, they were, and when they were come up out of the water, I mean, they went plumb down in it. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that, he, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I'm going to preach tonight a good sinner, how a good sinner met a great Savior through a godly saint. Now, I know that there is none good save one that is God. I'm saying that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But there are some sinners that are surprisingly, comparatively good people. Amen. You'll come across some sinners, and I think I have recently, that are better than most Baptists sitting in church pews. Oh, yeah. That are saved. And although the Lord Jesus makes the definitive statement on that when he says there is none good save one that is God, I certainly agree and, and submit to Jesus' teaching. But you know what I mean when I say that comparatively speaking, there are some sinner people that are pretty good people compared to really anybody. So here's a good sinner, and he met a great Savior through a godly saint. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to us, Lord, and help us learn some things, God. There are some things that we really need to know about this, Lord. And I pray that if under the sound of my voice some lost sinner hears this, Lord, that you'd prick their heart and show them their need. And I pray, dear Lord, that some of us that are saved can see some things that we need to do better to be more like Philip. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, here, Philip the Evangelist, the character from the book of Acts, reminds us a lot of Philip the Apostle from the Gospels. The scholars all tell us there's no way in the world they're the same guy, and, and I assume they're not because I just assume people know more than me about these things. But it's a real good Bible study. If you want to practice your Bible study, if you want to sharpen your skills, here's what you do. Find something that reminds you of another place in the Bible that's similar, and then just look at the two passages side by side and compare and contrast them. So we're going to do that here with Philip here just for a minute. Both Philip in the Gospels and Philip here in the book of Acts obey immediately. Uh, at the risk of going a little bit over time. This is the first time I've been able to preach here for a while, so I'm going to risk being a little over time, but I don't think I will be much. John 1.43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith, saith unto him. So Philip was told to follow, and he followed, and not only followed, but went and got somebody else. So both Philip of Acts and Philip in the Gospels obey immediately. I'll tell you something else, both of them witness naturally. I mean, it's just like water falling off a log, water going down a waterfall, that Philip finds somebody and says, hey, we found him. And when he questions, when Nathaniel questions him a little bit, you know what he says? Come and see. I mean, he just naturally witnesses. Boy, that's a blessing when it just comes naturally. Amen, that's true. There's something wrong when it's always this big problem for you to mention Jesus to anybody. Yeah. That needs to come real naturally. Now, I will be the first to admit, if you're going to sit there and give them a two-hour lesson on theology, that's going to be kind of weird. <laughs> okay? That's going to be kind of forced. That's going to be kind of awkward. I'm not saying do that. But you ought to be able to say, praise the Lord. The Lord's been good to me. 
Jesus, save me. I sure appreciate the Lord and all he's done for me. You ought to be able to say stuff like that. That shouldn't be a struggle. You need to get used to saying something for the Lord, both witness naturally. Um, of course, Philip does early in Acts chapter 8 there in Samaria, and then to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then to the cities with Jesus as his theme. Because remember, at the very end of chapter 8, it says Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And we know what his theme was. He was preaching Jesus. All right, another thing we notice is both are secondary in prominence. Philip doesn't get the spotlight that Peter and Paul get in the book of Acts. And he doesn't get the spotlight that Jesus or Peter, James, or John get in the Gospels. Uh, are you okay with being secondary in prominence and yet witnessing for the Lord and getting a lot done? You'd be surprised at the blessings that will come your way. Amen. If you don't care who gets the credit and you just stay busy for the Lord, you'll look back in a few years and you'll have some blessings and some stuff going for you that the people that maybe had the bigger name and was a little bit better known can only dream of. God Almighty doesn't let you get cheated out of stuff. Well, they get all the glory. They get to teach or they get to sing or they get to whatever. Don't worry. Do not worry. A few years from now, you will be blessed beyond anything the more well-known people ever thought about if you'll stay faithful to God. All right, uh, both John, uh, in the Gospel of John and here in the book of Acts, Philip uh, knows his Bible. Uh, it says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him back in John 1.45, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. So he had read his law and prophets and knew about Moses writing about somebody in there. Here's somebody who cracked the book. Here's somebody that had read. And sure enough, here in Acts chapter 8, verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this, and Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He could just walk up on somebody with a Bible open and start right there and preach. There are a few things better for you to just than to just read your Bible and know the stories and be familiar with it. And then, yes, you're taught and preached, but mainly just read it, just yeah. know it, just learn it. Great thing is being done, even for little children, when they're just told Bible stories. Just know it. Just saturate your mind with the Word of God. Uh, both recognize Jesus in the Old Testament. Here, Jesus is showing up in John chapter 1, but Philip recognizes him as the one that Moses wrote about in the Old Testament. And sure enough, in Acts 8.35, when he's reading to him out of Isaiah, Philip starts preaching to him Jesus out of that Old Testament. Both of them know Jesus in the Old Testament, and both of them are comfortable bringing Gentiles to Jesus. Here is uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. No doubt he's a Gentile. And yet, Philip brings him right to the Lord Jesus, just like any of those Jews. Now let's look over in John chapter 12 and see Philip the apostle. Notice who the Gentiles come to when they want to see Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. 
Now, how in the world did they know that they'd go to Philip to find out about Jesus? Isn't that a blessing? Yes. Are you the kind of person that when somebody wants to hear about Jesus, they look for you? Philip wasn't Peter, James, or John. Philip certainly wasn't Jesus. In the book of Acts, that Philip was not uh, Peter or Paul. And yet, when the Lord needed somebody to preach, because Philip had just been preaching to him in Samaria, he grabbed Philip and said, you go get this Ethiopian. Oh, now you're done with him? Oh, okay. Now the Spirit's going to catch you away, and you're going to go through several cities preaching to all. That's true. And he's not even the big wig with the big name. You'd be surprised the blessing you're missing if you think you can't be serving God because you're not somebody with a big name or a preacher or something. Amen. You Good just boy. stay busy. But the scholars assure us that it's two totally different men, but you got to admit that's a lot of likenesses, isn't it? Yes. They're real similar. So let's examine this important first salvation with a finished blood atonement on a complete Gentile to see what traits make, it, make a sinner easily saved and what traits made this soul winner a godly saint. All right, first of all, let's look at uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and why he was a good sinner. Again, I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. None of us are good. We're all sinners. But as sinners go, comparatively speaking, he was a good guy. All right, uh, he was comparatively good. He had great authority over a great amount of wealth and money. This implies honesty. There are plenty of Baptists you do not want handling your money. <laughs> I am not letting out any secret there. Do you know how many Baptist churches have split because somebody was cheating with the money? Somebody was doing underhanded things with the money? Here was, a, was an Ethiopian eunuch who you could trust with money. Would to God more his people was more honest that way. You'd think for them to lose a few dollars would be this big tragedy. If you're serving God, you won't even miss a few dollars. Even if it's a little bit unfair, how you been done? And you could trust this, uh, you could trust this Ethiopian with a great amount. I mean, it's not a small amount. Look, look who he is. It says in verse 27, eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. Man, this guy was good with gold and silver and precious stones and who knows what. Large amount of money. Uh, he apparently had good intelligence to keep up with such treasure. It gets plumb confusing keeping up with all the details and all the money when you have a large amount. It's a complicated thing. We have software to help us with all that stuff now. We had elaborate uh, spreadsheets even before the days of, of software, but just an old handwritten kind. He, he's a good man in that he's honest. He's a good man in that he has good intelligence. Apparently, he's been faithful to work hard and to organize such treasure. It's hard to keep up with, so you have to organize it and keep real good records and everything. So he was comparatively good in that sense. He was good in that he was a good candidate for salvation. Now, anybody can be saved. But you know as well as I, there are some people that we just don't think are probably about to get saved. You know why? They're not a good candidate for salvation. They couldn't care anything. They couldn't care anything about it. They're not interested in it. They won't listen to you about it. Anybody that's ever witnessed has come to people that couldn't care less about hearing about it and just basically told you to hit the road. Uh, but here's somebody that was interesting. Interested. He was religious. He came to Jerusalem. Verse 27. 
He had come there to worship. Over in John chapter 4. I have a cross reference on this. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So this man knew, I, I need to go where these Jews are. I need to go to Jerusalem to deal with these things and to, and to do my worship. So he was interested in these things. He was religious. He was studious. Uh, we went to see some real cool historical sites recently. You know what we did? We picked up brochures from there. We picked up books from there. And we've been reading about it ever since. And gave Dad some of them. And you're just interested when it's something that's close to your heart and something that you care about. So he's leaving this worshiping uh, at Jerusalem. And he had out the scriptures and is reading Isaiah. It wasn't something where, oh boy, glad that's over. Let's get back to the ball game. Let's get back to the video game. Let's get back to the movie or the TV show or the shopping trip or the whatever, social media. He was sitting there reading and thinking and studying about this. He was apparently well instructed. Somebody had been talking about these things down in Ethiopia. Look at the, uh, look at undoubtedly part of the origin of this. Turn back in Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 7. The prophet of God's in trouble and getting put down and incarcerated and down in a miry pit with a bunch of mud. The Bible says in Jeremiah 38, verse 7, Now when ebed Malek, the Ethiopian, oh, same, same nationality, one of the eunuchs, Oh, same condition. Which was in the king's house. Oh, similar to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts over the treasure of the queen. He's familiar with their royalty. Heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying... My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, and went into the house of the king under the treasury, and took... What? He's an Ethiopian unit connected with the king, and he's around the treasury. Isn't that what the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts did? The take charge of all her treasures. You see the likenesses here? All the advantages in your Bible of taking similar passages and comparing and contrasting. Amen. Amen. Uh, where was I? Verse 11, under the treasury. And he took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags, rags under thine armholes under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him up out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now look at the next chapter. 
chapter 39 of Jeremiah, verse 15. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil and not for good, and they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. But I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord, and thou shalt not be given into the hand of the men of whom thou art afraid. For I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, but thy life shall be for a prey unto thee, because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So something had gone on in Ethiopia where this stuff had been talked about a long time before. And now, lo and behold, there's an Ethiopian eunuch showing up again in the book of Acts. Um, not only, though, was he well instructed, he desired to understand Scripture. He said, how can I except some man should guide me? I hear almost a little frustration in his voice. He's been trying to figure this out. He said, hey, would somebody come explain this to me? I want to know. You know what most people do when they read the Bible? They read the Bible, don't really get much out of it, don't really care anything about it, aren't really that interested, set it down and go on to whatever else they're interested in. But when somebody wants to know, that shows me they're interested. And you know what? what is even more important than that? It shows God that they're interested. And he gets somebody down there. Remember when Cornelius, in the book of Acts, fasted and prayed and tried to be upright as he could be and was honest and hardworking and loyal and all the wonderful things that you can say about a man? The Lord said, man, I noticed that guy. I'm going to get him some truth. Listen, you be just as faithful as you can. There will be times there will be a scripture in front of you and you won't know what it means. There will be times there will be something you're burdened to do and you just aren't able to do it. But you just be as faithful as you can in the things you can do and watch God show up eventually and help you get some things done that before you couldn't do. He desired to understand scripture. He desired the fellowship of a saint. He said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. There's plenty of people. The last thing they'd ever do in this world is ask a Bible-believing Christian to come sit with them anywhere. Amen. But this Ethiopian was real interested in that. He said, come help me. Come sit down here beside me. He desired to know Christ. He was looking for somebody. He came right to the verse and said, Of whom speaketh the prophet? Of himself or some other man? He wanted to know, hey, who are we talking about here? Let's, let's narrow this down. So he was a good man in that he was comparatively good. He handled money. He was a good candidate for salvation. He was very interested in worshiping the Lord and knowing exactly about the Lord Jesus. And he made a good convert. Let me tell you who makes a good convert. Number one, somebody converted by the preaching of Jesus. As much as I love some of our Baptist distinctives, not all of them are salvation. Amen. And some of the Baptist distinctives don't really come into play until somebody gets saved first. Correct. You trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're a good convert. And he heard Philip start at the same scripture and preach unto him Jesus, and he got saved. That makes a convert. Converting somebody just decides, you know, I need more bulls. We need stronger families. We need more conservative politics. These are good things. I believe in all these things. They won't save your soul. They will not change you. They'll not give you eternal life. 
He got converted at the preaching of Jesus. His conversion affected action. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and Philip said, you know, you really ought to get baptized now that you're saved. Philip didn't have to say it. The eunuch said, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He had the idea. Now, don't misunderstand. I appreciate everybody that will work for the Lord after you're told to. That is sure better than people that never do anything for the Lord. But let me tell you who's best yet is somebody that on their own wants to do something for the Lord. And somebody doesn't have to come and tell them. He said, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And of course you know from dad's teaching on the King James Bible issue how that the new Bibles get rid of some of this passage, don't they? Oh, yes. They don't want you to know that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your Savior, as your Savior, and that's a prerequisite to baptism. But he wanted to identify with Christ in baptism, and when he told them that what was required, you know what he said? He said, well, exactly how do I do that? He, uh, right on the spot, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was forward to do so. Just like he was forward to get baptized, he was forward to confess the Lord Jesus Christ <coughs> as the risen Son of God. And his conversion affected rejoicing. When you're a good convert, you're happy you get saved. There's something missing in a conversion where the person isn't glad they're saved. Glad their sins are washed away. Glad they have eternal life. Glad they're going to heaven when they die. Alright, uh, so the Ethiopian was a good sinner in that sense. Alright, now this is uh, point two. It's the only other one I got. It's got two points tonight. Philip was a godly saint. Now what do I mean by that? Well, number one, I mean uh, he had great character. Here is what it means for somebody to have great character. First of all, he took a lowly position as a servant. When you want to serve the Lord and you're fine with being humble, that is a good start to a real good character. I bought a book over there at Mount Vernon here uh, this past week on George Washington's leadership lessons. And one of them was, a good leader stays humble. And uh, Philip had no problem with this. Acts chapter 6, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So one that they picked here 
to serve tables, which I'm sure a lot of people would have looked down on and said, well, wait a minute, I'm only oh, yeah. one of these dedicated to the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, let me tell you something. Being dedicated to serving tables does not hinder your ability to minister the word of God. In fact, it's an excellent way to minister the word of God. Philip was one of them that did it, and lo and behold, he shows up in Acts chapter 8 as going down there to Samaria and getting a bunch of people saved. And then to the Ethiopian eunuch, getting him saved. And then in verse 40 of chapter 8, passing through all the cities, preaching all the way to Caesarea. He didn't have any problem taking a lowly position as a servant. I'll tell you something else, he possessed fearless fortitude. He wasn't scared to do things. Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Uh, what would you do if you went up to some people you didn't know, and they started screaming and going crazy and obvious devils coming out of them? Wouldn't that spook you just a little bit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Philip knew he had God behind him. You know why some of you are scared to do some things that you really ought to be doing? You don't believe the Lord is with you. If you think the Lord is right there with you, you don't hesitate to do anything. Just like a little child with their daddy with them. They know they're pretty much bulletproof while daddy's there. Daddy's not going to let anything hurt them. And when you understand that God is there... You get some courage that you didn't have when you didn't believe he was there. Sometimes the reason you don't believe he is there is because he isn't there. And you know it. No wonder you're scared. Get him. Amen. Trust him as your savior. Talk to him every day. Live close to him. And you'd be surprised how that'll help your fear factor. And if you're bold and brave enough to do stuff without him, you've got the wrong kind of boldness. There have been some bold people that didn't have the Lord with them. We've been studying a little bit in Exodus. Uh, Pharaoh was a bold guy, wasn't he? I mean, he said, Moses, I don't know this God you're talking about, and I'm not going to let the children of Israel go. He's brave. When those plagues started and he had hardened his heart and still wouldn't let him go, I'll give you, he was brave. His, his other Egyptians trying to reason with him. Do you not know that we're dead men? Let them go. And he'd just kind of halfway let them go and then bring them back. I mean, he's getting real brave. Here's how you know godly courage from false courage. False courage will get your neck broke. There'll come a point. Somebody will have enough and clean your clock. Amen. With the Lord, he gets you through it. And even if you do go through a time of persecution, the Lord gets you through it. Because there's something going on more than just your own physical welfare. But he had fearless fortitude. He possessed availability and dependability. Acts 8, 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Well, Lord, I would, but you know, you didn't give me enough... Uh, Notice, and uh, I'm tied up and got other things I've already committed to. He was available. And he could be depended on. He arose and went. Uh, there's plenty of people that whenever you 
send them down into the desert. They said, well, now, Lord, I was going, but I mean, it's desert. Where am I going to get enough water to get through that? I'll have to take a bunch of food with me. He was available when God needed him. He was dependable when God. God said, I'm going to send him into the desert. And you know what he did? Up and went. Uh, not only that, he submitted to God. He obeyed. The Lord told him to go. He just arose and went. No hesitation. No drift. You do not read here any hint that he went, God, desert? Do you know how hot it is today? you know how He just went. And when you do that, there will be times you'll just barely get by on bologna sandwiches, which I love anyway. And there will be times you'll have steak. You'll have cornbread and you'll have caviar. Bob Jones Jr. said one time in his book. Uh, but he just went. Because no matter which one you have, you have the blessing of God with you as you go. And the blessing of God with the... We call them baby wieners. Vienna sausages is as good... <laughs> That the blessing of God with Vienna sausages is as good as no blessing of God with steak and lobster and whatever your favorite is. He obeyed. He obeyed with urgency. Eight verse, eight, chapter 8, verse 30, here in Acts, when the Lord said, go join yourself to the chair, Philip ran into to him. When I've not wanted to do something, I kind of just head that way, you know, and they drive off and leave me and, oh, well, I missed them. <laughs> that's not the way Philip felt about it. He ran. He obeyed with urgency. And he actively committed what the Lord had told him to do. He asked, well, understandest thou what thou readest? Most, uh, plenty of people would have stopped right there. They'd have said, well, I, I'm here, but I'm, what do I do? Some guy sitting there reading a scroll. Okay, what do I do? <laughs> Strike up a conversation. Say hi. Again, you don't have to get in a two-hour com conversation. You don't have to give them a theology lesson. Say something for the Lord. Maybe he'll open a door. Maybe all you're doing is planting a seed. Planting a seed is a real good thing. If all yes, you do is get in a couple of sentences and then they go home and sit and think about that, sometimes that's more powerful than if you sit there and try to give them a 30-minute lesson. Plenty of, plenty of people have really been one to the Lord when they went and got alone with their thoughts more than they were with somebody standing over them telling them a bunch of stuff. You just plant the seed. Just that would be real good. But he said, understandest thou what thou readest? And a wide open door comes when he asks him that. And then when he showed him the passage, he started at the same place, opened his mouth and preached Jesus. Oh, there's some activity here. You've got to be willing to open your mouth. Most of us remember times that there's somebody that we should have witnessed to and we just started to but we just didn't open our mouth. That is real instructive to me that the Lord said, I mean, if he witnesses to him, of course he opened his mouth. But I think the Lord learned us to really notice that little phrase. Opened his mouth and preached unto him. Jesus. He submitted to God. He lived biblically and spiritually. 
He knew the Bible. Like I said a minute ago, he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You could open up a Bible and he knew what you're dealing with. He realized the theme of the Bible. In, uh, here in chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached, look at it, Christ unto them. He knew what they needed. I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, Paul said. Uh, verse 35, preached unto him Jesus. He adhered to the Bible. Verse 37, when the eunuch said, hey, what does hinder me to be baptized? There are plenty of people that have said, well, look, he's got a good heart. He's seen a bunch of the, the Jewish proselytes get baptized. He wants to be baptized too to follow the Lord. Let's just go ahead and baptize him. No, he said, wait a minute. That's for people that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So before he let him, he said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. It is sure easy to not want to seem like you're discouraging somebody and to leave out an important point because you want to be all happy and positive and yeah. go along and if they're wanting to get baptized, for goodness sake, baptize them. And then you can tell your buddies, hey, we had another one get baptized. Yeah, but what if they're not saved? Then all they did was get wet. before. So he adhered to the Bible. He lived biblically and spiritually. And he received a great reward. Number one, he was controlled by the Spirit. We preached that sermon on the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is basically the control of the Spirit. Just like that hand going in the glove. Remember the illustration we used? Once that hand goes and fills that glove, it's in control of that glove. Is the Spirit in control of your glove? Amen. He was controlled by the Spirit. He was down there preaching in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. So when the Lord needed him to do a job with the Ethiopian, he sent him into the desert to do it. When he got done with that, he was called away by the Spirit to go preach in some other cities. You know what you want to do? You want to get under the control of the Spirit. If you are, you have a blessing that a lot of Christians never know about. Be controlled by the Spirit. We have a whole sermon that we talk about the importance of being filled with the Spirit. And wherever he went, he left others full of joy. Acts chapter 8 and verse 8, after he's preached to them there in Samaria, and the demons came out and everything, it says, and there was great joy in that city. Also here in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, when Philip was called away, it says the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You want to leave somebody rejoicing? Let me tell you what will do better than giving them a few dollars or telling them how great they are. Give them the Lord and the Spirit of God. That will bring more joy to them than anything else going. How long has it been since you witnessed to somebody and as you were talking to them, you saw the conviction on their face. Now, you're not in control of whether or not they get saved. That's between them and God. But you can witness to them to the point that the conviction shows on their face. You can witness to them to the point that the tender heart starts to come out. If they have a tender conscience, the tears start flowing. How long has it been since you've had an opportunity to do that? Oh, that's a good thing. But don't feel bad. If you can't get that far, if all you can do is plant the seed, like I said earlier, even that's a wonderful thing. You don't know what the Lord might do with it. 
They might lay their head on their pillow at night and remember what you've been. Many a person has been saved when only a short stab, forgive me for using that term, but the Bible said to be a sword, <laughs> but a short stab deposited some of the scripture deep in their mind and heart. And they went away thinking about it. I remember when I shot that deer when I was about William's age. I shot it and it disappeared into the woods. For all I knew, I missed it. I was pretty sure I hit it, but for all I knew, I, I missed it. But you know what? The bullet was already in it. <laughs> it was already going to die. It was just a matter of tracking the thing down and finding it. Sometimes you'll plant the scripture and the stab is already done. That's a good point. The seed is already planted in there. And they're going to run off a while. They may not admit to you right then they got saved. They can go off and think about it. Same way for somebody that is saved but has been out of fellowship with the Lord. And they see your testimony and they hear your witness. <clears throat> they may not admit, they may be kind of mad while you're sitting there talking to them, but you've just deposited something. You've just planted a seed. When they get away from you, they ain't going to be able to quit thinking about it. Oh, we can tell story after story of those things. Wonderful things. He was controlled by the Spirit. He left others full of joy, and he persevered. It said in verse 40 here, passing through and preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. But old Philip shows up again in your Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 21. Now, where did he end up in verse 40 of chapter 8? He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, look at Acts 21, verse 8. It says, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. Oh, that's where Philip ended up, wasn't it? And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, and it goes on to tell more of the story of Paul's life. You know what I noticed from this? I noticed that even when some years passed, Philip stayed true to God. That impresses me. Decide that you're going to serve God. And then years and years from now, all the way till you die, you can serve it. Oh, the inspiration I get from people that are still serving God decades later. Here's Philip, and he's the one that when they're when the disciples are in town, they come to his house. And he has four daughters. They're virgins which prophesy. His children knew the word of God and talked about what was in this Bible. Isn't that a blessing? Yes, it is. Paul had no wife, no children. Peter was elderly and his wife um, is not mentioned much, but we know that he had one because his wife's mother was sick back in the Gospels. But we don't know anything about any of Peter's children. We don't know anything about John's children. Philip the evangelist, who isn't Peter, James, or John, he isn't Paul or Peter from the book of Acts had blessings where when the disciples were in the area they came to his house and he had descendants 
live for God. Don't ever think you're being passed over because you don't have the popularity or the fame. You may have some blessings that the other ones will trade places with you any day of the week. That's true. Today we saw a good sinner, so to speak, sincerely seeking God, and the Lord Jesus Christ was manifest to Thank God that the Lord was so gracious and sent a godly saint to lead him to our great Savior. But maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice that hasn't been as good as this Ethiopian eunuch and sure isn't the hero of the faith that Philip the evangelist was. Let me tell you what Paul said. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If you don't measure up to either one of these men, the Lord Jesus Christ is still interested in saving you. When Philip preached in Samaria, there were people so full of the devil that when he showed up and started preaching, devils started coming out of them. Isn't that what it said? True. If you're one of those, Jesus Christ would like to save you. And I know he'll do it. And if you don't get saved, it won't be because he wouldn't take you. It'll be because you wouldn't take him. Because Jesus gives that great promise. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word and the great truths that we find herein.